Welcome to Tandem with the Random, an open format podcast featuring interviews with interesting people doing interesting things. This installment of the podcast features special guest co-host John Lamazny, a central New Jersey-based technology and design consultant, and was mostly recorded live via Google Plus Hangouts on Air on Wednesday, April 3rd, 2013. Plus, John Lambert, general manager of the Princeton Record Exchange in Princeton, New Jersey, joins us to talk about Record Store Day. And to continue the podcast celebration of the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, we'll hear another Doctor Who memory from Sam Tomeno of the Pridonians of Princeton Fan Club. All that and a few random thoughts are just ahead on Tandem with the Random for Tuesday, April 9th, 2013. Now here is your host, Brian Kelly, along with John Lamazny. Welcome to a special edition of the Tandem with the Random podcast. I am your host, Brian Kelly, and this episode is being recorded as a live Google Plus Hangout on air on Wednesday night, April 3rd, 2013. And I am joined by my friend in technology and the arts webcast slash podcast co-host, John Lamazny. John, how are you doing? Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. What's going on with you? Uh, I am focusing on consulting right now. Excellent. What kind of consulting are you doing? Well, it's a consulting business <clears throat> that I've had for the last 20 years, really. Um, I would say... John? Hey, John? Okay. I think we lost John. Oh, Adventures in Google Plus Hangouts on Air. Let's give this a moment, see if John rejoins us. Hey. Hey, I, I don't know what happened, but all everything you said basically became like not even Stephen Hawking. It became like unintelligible. I, I'll try to take that as a compliment. I, like <laughs> it, I mean, it, w it was like so, it was so computerized and, and, uh, and, and it was broken. It, it, I, I couldn't hear a word you said and then you just froze. Hmm. Well, uh, I have so a let, let, let's, 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 let's backtrack. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot of editing on this one. <laughs> but, uh, so, John Lamazny, my friend and technology in the arts podcast co-host, is joining me tonight as both uh, a co-host for this episode as well as a guest. So, John, why don't you uh, go back and tell uh, our listeners and our viewers tonight about uh, your consulting business? Sure. Thank you, Brian. So, my consulting business um, focuses mostly on graphic design, technology support, uh, sometimes hardware support, organizational support, and now a little bit nutrition. <laughs> so it's a pretty wide range of uh, of things, but mostly it's me, you know. And so it's it's a situation where if somebody needs help and it's something that I have skills in, I offer those skills uh, for consulting and try not to get sued, <laughs> you know. <laughs> With things like nutrition, you know, and I'm, I'm always very quick to note, you know, I'm not a doctor, not a nutritionist. I just happen to 
have lost a lot of weight and and have a good sense of why that happened and how that happened. And uh, same is true for technology. I don't. Most of my degrees are in uh, fine arts as opposed to technology, and so uh, I can usually tell people what the answer is. And but if somebody's asking me to provide a credential in order to prove that. I know what the answer is. The only credential I have is the experience. Excellent. And guess what we just had on this, if you didn't notice? I did not notice. When I was trying to get you back, I clicked on your screen, so, and then I clicked on mine. And so while you were talking, I had the video on me. So that's, great. That, that's a good flashback to Technology in the Arts 2.0. But... Uh, so you mentioned the nutrition and you mentioned the weight loss. Um, you know, we've talked about this, you know, on our other projects, but for this project, you know, why don't you talk about uh, that a little bit? Sure. And, and, the, and the diary of calories. Yeah, so uh, most of the aspects of my consulting have their own sort of home on, on the web. And, and I try to do that because the audience – that I'm talking to who's interested in fitness and, and weight loss and, and nutrition is not necessarily interested in graphic design and vice versa. Um, I, I love it when that happens, when somebody's interested in the same things I'm interested in. I just don't expect it. And so uh, I developed diaryofcalories.wordpress.com as sort of a, a clearinghouse for insights that I have had about weight loss, about nutrition, about fitness, about small living. And I, I try to include things that affect your mental health, meditation, um, trying to be less money focused, less consumerism focused, and uh, fatherhood and, and other things that uh, I think affect my general health and specific kinds of health. So... My, I've been maintaining since uh, about Christmas of 2012 and uh, have actually lost a few pounds. Uh, I'm now around 195 and my goal was 200. I'm six foot two and um, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm, I'm healthy, happy. BMI even says that I'm uh, in the normal weight range, my uh, body fat content is good. And so now uh, what I'm learning about is the skills of uh, maintenance. And that means, you know, keeping numbers at, at the same level every day. And, and the trick to that is finding great foods and finding whole foods uh, and local foods and a lot of other aspects of food that are incredibly important to me that helped me to do that and sharing that information either through graphics or through experiences or through recipes or through photos. And um, I'm proud to say that I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people saying that they've been inspired by uh, what I've learned and that they have started that journey too. And the, the, the few takeaways that I would give to anybody who's um, looking down at their stomach and saying, I don't want to be this way anymore, is that it's easier than you think, far easier than you think. The more information you have, 
the better. I happen to use a couple biometric devices in order to track both my intake and, and output. And that uh, it has so much to do with your emotional state. You know, if you are the kind of person who, like, like so many of us, who uh, eat food as a way of soothing yourself, that's, that's the first thing you really need to overcome. It has uh, everything to do with your success. If you are eating because it makes you feel good, uh, not eating because it sustains you and makes you energetic and uh, lets you be at the right, right weight, then that's the first thing that you need to take on. You need to find out if you're depressed. You need to find out if you are going through some life crisis that you're not really paying attention to. And um, focus on that first because the rest of these things are not going to work especially well if you're sabotaging yourself because you're not paying attention to the scale or your Fitbit or MyFitnessPal or any of these things because you're depressed and you're eating because you're depressed. Uh, you, you have to have sort of a, a clear mind on uh, what you're trying to do, why it's important, and uh, keep those goals in mind when you are deciding whether to have a donut or whether to have a bagel or whether to have an apple or whether to have some granola. Um, yeah, it, it's been fantastic. It's, it's been uh, an amazing life-altering uh, path, and I'm really, really glad that I, I've taken it, and I'm glad about where I'm at right now. Excellent. While you're talking, you, you mentioned you know sharing uh, that information, and uh, I guess part of the reason we're doing this uh, Google Plus Hangouts on air tonight is because uh, – Another way you share information is through your series of Hangouts, which I am now a part of, uh, your Neckbeard Networks, uh, or is it Network? I guess it's Network. But, uh, you know, why don't you talk about your, your series of, uh, of uh, Google Plus Hangouts that you do? Sure. So uh, I'm, there's a, a couple reasons that this happened. First and foremost... Uh, there was our, our work together where we had been doing a podcast originally and uh, then came to an end with that series and uh, got together again and decided that we were going to start up again. And um, because technologies had changed so dramatically, I've said this a hundred times, uh, five years ago to do a Hangout would have required um, a technologist to be involved and cameras to be purchased and uh, remember, remember setting up the, the live stream of uh, commencement at Ryder University yeah that was a major hurdle every year it was and you had to sit there and babysit it and you had to you had to set up a streaming server set up a client for that server uh, all of which is still being done but now it's being done in a much more streamlined, one-click fashion. And it's already attached to accounts that you already have. And the networks support that kind of traffic. And um, if you have a Gmail account, like most people do, you have access to this technology. And 
the fact that it's so one click and a second click gets you screen sharing and a third click gets you titles as you have up on your screen. Uh, that is much different than it once was. It used to be that you had to have some system administration skills and you had to know what bandwidth was and you needed to know what PHP was and you needed to know all these things. So that's all gone away and I have tried very hard to do the work of, of evangelizing how great this technology is and that um, if you are just an individual who has a small audience of let's say a thousand people or less uh, like or, this or, or ten people or less <laughs> like I often have uh, Hangouts is the perfect solution you, you don't need to invest in something like go to meeting or any of those things but um, there are reasons for those things still to exist because if you need a higher quality codec or you need uh, legibility or you need archiving in a, in a, at a certain uh, bit rate or, you know, other professional needs, you're probably going to be looking to Kaltura or, or one of these other solutions. But for most of us, that's not the need. For most of us, we just want to be able to video conference very easily. It's an added benefit by far to be able to click a button as you did in order to do a live stream broadcast uh, that easily and to be able to archive it at the same time. Such a beautiful thing. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I don't have many problems with it, I, and I've done this a lot. Uh, there was a time in the beginning where I was doing three or four a week, and... I do not do three or four a week anymore. As a matter of fact, uh, I typically do one. Uh, but we have covered topics such as customer service. We have covered technology in the arts. We have covered uh, technology and nutrition. We've covered technology and graphic design. We've covered um, technology and instruction. And uh, what that's allowed me to do is to build essentially a portfolio of conversations about these topics with people, with experts in those areas, or at least very well-informed um, individuals who I trust, uh, yourself included. And so... Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, and, it, and it's always a pleasure to, to speak with you because I always learn something when that happens. And um, it's really nice to have these records of my personal insight and learning on on YouTube for everybody to see. And I can always take things down, but I never do. It's, it's always a reasonable discussion. And sometimes there are uncomfortable moments and sometimes there are technical gaffes. But uh, generally speaking, I don't do a lot of editing. Um, and it's usually a one-shot thing. You know, we start up, we broadcast, we record, uh, and we publish. And I just add it to the Neckbeard Network's uh, playlist. That's the entirety of that uh, distribution method is adding it to a playlist. And if somebody wants to subscribe to that, they can. Um, but the idea that an individual can have their own broadcast network uh, for free would make somebody's head spin 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. With off-the-shelf technology, with, with nothing more than my laptop and an internet connection, which are both ubiquitous. Uh, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to use these technologies in order to do 
um, what was once a high threshold of entry for essentially television broadcasting. Right. So anything else you want to talk about before I go into my section here? Um, yeah, I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you to you, and I wanted to say thank you to the other people who I've worked with on Neckbeards, but I also wanted to extend a thank you <clears throat> to all the people who have supported me recently because uh, I recently had a job change where I left Princeton University and decided to focus uh, squarely on this consulting business because there were many times when I had an opportunity for consulting uh, offered to me but had to turn it down because it was too long of an, enge an engagement or too large of a project and I knew that I wouldn't be able to work on something for a month and be able to get my work done uh, at Princeton. So it was um, it was a tough decision, but what I have found very quickly is that I have a, a very uh, reliable, extended family of support, and uh, that's been gratifying to to be able to understand that, learn that, and um, rely on that network. So thanks. Oh, you're welcome. And that was, you know, part of the reason why I I wanted to bring you on was to, uh, you know, talk about your consulting business and uh, do what I can to support it and promote it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So usually uh, in a normal podcast episode, I go into my random thoughts, but we've kind of you know, that horse has left the barn, so to speak. But, and it's going to be weird because some things, this podcast, the podcast, the podcast, podcast version of this conversation will go up on Monday, April, was it 8th? April 8th, yes. So some things are going to be happening between now and April 8th. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking in different tenses at various points of this conversation. But uh, if you are listening to my voice right now and you're listening to the podcast version of this webcast, uh, later on you should be hearing an interview with John Lambert, the general manager of the Princeton Record Exchange in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, as we discussed Record Store Day and what it's done for independent record stores uh, like his and others like it, and what Princeton Record Exchange and its partner, the Princeton Public Library, have planned for this year's event, which falls on Saturday, April 20th. Of course, that interview is scheduled for tomorrow night, so if it doesn't happen for some reason, you're stuck with just me and John. But that's okay, because you know, we have lots of random stuff to talk about, and we've already talked about a lot so far. So, um, I just wanted to take a moment to shout out to John Lambert. I, I wish uh, we had had a chance to talk to him live because he's he is a dear, dear person and somebody who I respect greatly. Excellent, and the store is awesome. Fantastic. As a matter of fact, I have a special meaning for Record Store Day too. Uh, it was, I believe, April fourteenth of last year uh, on a Saturday. 
And it was during that time that I uh, embraced sobriety. So it'll be my one year coming up on the 14th. Excellent. Very good. Congratulations. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, that was the Day Might Be Giants show at uh, in the plaza there outside the library. So that was for Record Store Day. But um, I guess, you know, you talked about nutrition earlier, and uh, I guess one thing I'd like to talk about, I mentioned on my last podcast that I ran in the Phillies Charities 5K on March 23rd, I believe, and had some questions about my time. I, I My goal was to finish in under 30 minutes, but my my chip time, my recorded time, uh, wound up being 31.06. But my Nike Plus uh, app on my iPhone said I had recorded a, a 5K time of 30 minutes, 18 seconds. So... There were some discrepancies going on, but anyway, because I feel like that time was uh, controversial, I'll say, uh, I've signed up for the Barnabas Health Lakewood Blue Claws 5K in Lakewood, New Jersey for this Sunday, which, again, if you're listening to the podcast version, will have already passed, but... um, if you're watching this live or on YouTube before Sunday, April 7th, and you find yourself in Northern Ocean County, New Jersey, that morning, uh, the 5K takes place at First Energy Park, home of the Lakewood Blue Claws, the Class A affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So if uh, you're out there and want to stop by and say hello, maybe share me on, that's the place to do it. Go Blue Claws. Yes, and and actually, I do get a ticket to the game, but I don't think I'm staying for the game. I would love to, but I, I just too much stuff going on. It's time for my Doctor Who segment, and I know you don't watch Doctor Who, although I know you're not opposed to the idea. I'm not opposed to it. I'm sure that I would fall in love with it. Um... It is on Netflix up to a certain point, and so I probably will start making that trek sometime. Oh, and you had to put the word trek in there, huh? Is is that bad? Well, you know, there's you know, territorial issues with sci-fi, as you know. So putting, you know, trek, as in Star Trek, into a Doctor Who conversation. Is oh, a, Star Trek. Is a little controversial. Yeah. But... Um, yes, so since I've been really playing up Doctor Who during this, the show's 50th anniversary year, I want to mention how great it was to see Doctor Who uh, return on BBC America last weekend, the seventh season, continuing after a break. Uh, and I want to say that Jenna Louise Coleman as new companion Clara Oswald, although versions of her character have already appeared twice, uh, is absolutely brilliant. I really can't wait to find out what the mystery is behind the so-called impossible girl. And then there was the big news earlier this week that David Tennant and Billy Piper, who played the 10th Doctor and companion Rose Tyler, respectively, are indeed reprising their roles uh, for the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special that's currently filming and expected to air in November. 
And there's also going to be a limited 3D theatrical release, and that's including here in the United States, I believe. But that being said, and while it hasn't been confirmed, I'm pretty sure David Tennant will be playing the human clone of the 10th Doctor that was created in the Series 4 finale, I believe, Journey's End. So, And it only makes sense because that version of the Doctor still exists, and was trapped in a parallel universe with Rose. So if they're both back, logic dictates that it would have to be the clone. And and I was going to talk about some other things, but it would get really geeky, so I'm going to let that go. Well, I mean, if they're listening, if your audience is listening to this point, they probably would be interested in the rest. You know what? You're right. I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> you can always so edit it, it out later, you know? Yeah. So in a way, you know, it, it's actually genius if, if if David Tennant is playing the clone because all the previous multi-doctor anniversary stories, the, the, the three doctors, the five doctors, uh, the official ones anyway, uh, there were the two doctors who was the sixth doctor and the second doctor. Um, but... I don't think that was an anniversary story. Though. I think it was just a standalone thing. But uh, in each of those stories, the fact that all the doctors were able to be together in one place was always something that required the intervention of of, of a time of other time lords of the existence. It depended on the existence of other time lords on Gallifrey who can control all the different time streams of all the doctors. So. In this, in you know, except for a brief time where they tried to come back, the Time Lords are gone now. So there, there would be no logical way to have all the Doctors together. And in real terms, in reality, how can, there's only uh, four surviving Doctors from the classic era. Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy... And, and they're just too old to to play the doctor again and have it make sense. It, it, so ha- having David Tennant play the clone actually is you know really the only realistic way you can pull a multi-doctor story off. Even though he's not technically he's a a clone of the doctor, but he's not he doesn't have the the time lord. He doesn't have two hearts. He doesn't have regenerations. He's a human version of the doctor. He has all his memories and uh, intelligence, but doesn't have the survivability of the doctor. I'm surprised from a, from a technical standpoint uh, that the producers of the show don't have some involvement of the older actors, such as having their voice present and simply don't use animatronics or, um, you know, taking the face from a still from an old version of the show and putting it on a modern actor like they do in so many movies today. You know, you think about what they did with Tron. Yeah. You know, like, uh, it just seems like they could have done it. It might have been too expensive, maybe. Yeah. And, 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 and the other thing is, I mean, you're on 11 Doctors now. To put... 11 versions of the hero, the protagonist. I mean, to have 11 versions of him 
I don't know how you even write that. You know, how do you give them enough to do? Well, why couldn't it just be a vignette that happens within 30 seconds where each one of them sort of pokes their head out? That would also make it easier from a CGI perspective. Well, yeah, but, I mean, uh, I had a thought, and now I lost it. But uh, I know the biology of it, but, like, if, if, like, one's head sort of, like, came to the side dimensionally and another one's head came to the other side dimensionally, almost like, you know, an Indian god or something. I, I well, don't know. Well, there was a, a – they did do it for Children Need special uh, a few years ago. They did have a, a, a short episode, a mini episode, where Peter Davison uh, appeared, some of those. appeared as the fifth doctor. Uh, the, the premise was that uh, the tenth doctor left his shields down after repairing the TARDIS, and the fifth doctor's TARDIS kind of, they crashed and kind of merged together, which was creating a... Uh, a paradox that could take out a, 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 si a country the size of Belgium, I think, or blow a hole in the universe the size of Belgium, or something like that. And uh, you know, they they did they they actually they actually put a little bit of dialogue that explained why Peter Davison was older and not as fit <laughs> as he was when he was the Doctor. Uh, it was some kind of like time discrepancy or something that. That caused that to happen. Basically, the, because it wasn't a controlled reappearance in the time stream, that there was uh, he had aged to what he would have looked like, I guess, if he had progressed in that form. I guess that was what they were trying to. I guess that's the line of dialogue was trying to say. But they did it much better than I just did, and that's the yeah. Beauty of the Doctor Who writers these days. Uh, so anyway, the other thing about the special is that um, uh, film great John Hurt is also going to be in the 50th anniversary special uh, in an unspecified role. But I'm just going to throw out this bit of speculation. Uh, I'm going to guess he is either playing another incarnation of the Master, and this is a little bit wilder, but... Or he might wind up somehow playing the first Doctor, who was originally played by the late William Hartnell, and then in the five Doctors uh, by the late Richard Herndall. Uh, but those are my theories. So, no spoilers, but those are my theories. And I'm sure I'm wrong on both counts, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Um, so... Now that I've stated, what what was that? I said nothing ventured, nothing gained. Exactly. So now that I've stated my share of Doctor Who joy, if you're listening to the podcast version of this program, you'll hear another Doctor Who fan, uh, Sam Tomano of the Pridonians of Princeton, uh, talk about another Doctor Who memory. What is your favorite Doctor Who story? I think my favorite Doctor Who story is Plink. And I, I, first of all, I thought that the, uh, 
Weeping angels were a great idea. Actually, I think they've been overused now, so I'm tired of them. At first, they were great. But I like the whole idea that the Doctor really doesn't come into that story until the, oh, the last minute. He's kind of like an urban legend. Right. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I love that there were these, these geeks out there, you know, t- you know, you're talking about the appearances of this Doctor and how they, you know, you know, and that. I just like that whole concept in Blink. And that's why that's my single favorite story. There was an interview with uh, Stephen Moffat recently. Yeah, I was where watching they, that. Yeah, where he talked about how, you know, when he wrote it, he had no idea like, yeah. how good it was. What would you like to see in Doctor Who during the 50th anniversary year? Uh, like I said, I'd like to see some... I mean, I don't necessarily really think we do need, like, a bunch of Doctors, mm-hmm. you know. But may, but I think maybe just some, like I said, the, you, know, you know, some weird little thing where, you know, there's this old guy sitting there and the TARDIS appears and, you know, out comes Matt and says... Oh, Chesterton, nice seeing you. And, and, and it's William Russell, and he just kind of gives a funny look. You know, maybe a couple little things like that with some of the old fans. And I want to know what happened to Susan. Just a reminder to everyone out there, in honor of Doctor Who's 50th anniversary, I'm asking listeners and followers of the podcast to contribute their experiences and memories of the show. Please, if you're listening and you're a fan of Doctor Who, call the podcast comment line at 609-310-1480 and leave a voicemail with your story of Doctor Who fandom. Come on, be a part of the podcast and the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Tell your story. Okay, we're going to take a break from this conversation with John Lamazny to hear from John Lambert, General Manager of the Princeton Record Exchange, about Record Store Day, which is coming up on April 20th. That's right after this short musical interlude, so stay tuned. You're listening to the Tandem with the Random podcast at tandemwiththerandom.com. My guest on Tandem with the Random is John Lambert. General Manager of the Princeton Record Exchange, who is here to talk about Record Store Day, which is coming up. John, welcome to Tandem with the Random. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks so much for inviting us here. Uh, thank you for the time. Uh, before we get into Record Store Day, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Princeton Record Exchange? Okay. Well, as you may or may not know, we are one of the largest independent record stores on the East Coast, if not the country at this point, as they drop out of sight. Uh, we've been in business for 33 years. We're going to have our anniversary in April, 33 years. Uh, we started out as just a little store back in 1980. Uh, that was around the corner on Nassau Street, the Main Street in Princeton, and that was just a little tiny hall-in-the-wall place. Although it actually goes back even further than that. Uh, Barry, the owner, he, after he graduated from college, was traveling around in his van, and he would set, set up shops, uh, little pop-up shops in university stores, like the Princeton University store we have here. Uh, and he was traveling up and down the East Coast, uh, buying and selling used records at that time. Got a little tired of living in his van, and so decided to settle down, and he had enjoyed Princeton, his visits here, decided it would be a good location. So so that's how kind of the early, early inception of it back in the late 70s, going to 1980. Uh, by the time 1985 hit, the store was so popular, and the space was just so tiny, that we we moved around the corner to this much larger location, about 3,500 square feet of retail space, and we've been here ever since. Excellent. So let's talk about Record Store Day, and let's give a little overview of how the day came about and uh, its history and, and what it's meant to 
um, independent record stores. Yeah, I mean, I probably talking to them would give you a better idea of how they all got together. But essentially, it was a few owners of record stores, uh, independent record stores, who decided it would be a really fun thing if they could get together and work with some of the artists and labels to come out with products designed uh, to drive people back into the bricks and mortar store and remind people of what a wonderful culture and environment independent record stores is. So I guess I started back six years ago, I think we're going now, so it'd be what, 2008, I think was the first one. Uh, and they got together with just a handful of artists, a couple of labels, and they came up with some very limited edition, neat pieces. I know it was the Hendricks piece, it was the Dylan piece, I don't remember the other ones. Uh, at the time, we didn't really know much uh, about what to make of it. Uh, you know, we, we saw that the distributors were offering these items, and we said, yeah, sure, we always like to bring in limited things. Um, I remember being very startled when we opened the doors that day, and there was about, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 people, and they were all very neatly lined up along the side of the building, and I, I was kind of startled, because there's always a few people at opening, but they were so orderly, and I kind of put out the signs, and I was like, oh, you come in now, and they're like, oh, okay, well, we're in order in line, and I was like, well, what are you in line for? And I was like, oh, well, for the limited edition items, and I was like, oh, uh, okay, Sure, well, they're right over here. We did have a little section for them. And, and uh, that, you know, kind of how it started was sort of a thing that lasted all maybe 15 minutes, you know. Uh, but then the next year, of course, there were more titles and, and more after that. So I think by 2009, we were talking about 200, 250 titles. And it was becoming quite, quite something. Um, you know, and I think you know, the idea, it was very heartening for me at the time because. You know, we, we love our store, and, and our clientele definitely loves it, too. But, but you watch the industry and what happens to the industry, and it's very easy to go, like, oh, God, are we just a dinosaur? And people are just going to stop uh, wanting to shop in, in a physical location at all. And to see these people come out in, in really droves and droves after a while, the hundreds as the years went by, uh, just to support our store, you know, to, 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 to do that tactile shopping was just a very satisfying experience. And it's just a lot of fun for everybody, I think. Yeah, and it's with social media now, it's, it's actually uh... – even more amazing because you see all these announcements all over the place and it, it's really become a really special event. Um, so why don't we talk about the events that you have? Um, last year, they might be giants, uh, played in the plaza. Um, uh, yeah, that, that was really exciting for us. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of a funny store in a way. There's a lot of stores that are set up, uh, Vintage Vinyl and a lot of other ones, so St. Martin and Baltimore. And they have those stages, and they're, they're, they're very used to doing shows, and that's all part of, of their mystique and what they do. We are not that big a store, and we have so much merchandise. Typically, we're running about 150,000 titles in stock of uh, new and used CDs. Uh, DVDs and LPs, so we just simply don't have the space for that kind of thing, and it wasn't something that we we're very used to. So the first time we dabbled with it in uh, 2010 was the 30th anniversary of our store, and since our anniversary of the inception of our store happened to be in April as well, I thought it would be a really neat thing to pull together the idea of doing a combination of a record store day and uh, anniversary celebration. And that was the first time that we ever tried to do anything live. Again, we don't have the space, so we work very closely with a lot of our community partners, uh, uh, the Princeton Public Library, the Princeton Arts Council, WPR Radio Station. Uh, the Public Library in particular has been really, really nice. And they offered uh, their courtyard out front, which is a very nice uh, a fairly large courtyard. So that first year we had about five bands play, just local bands, you know, uh, enough to have a local draw and enough to have some energy and excitement. And it, it was a lot of fun. And then I think, you know, a lot of people showed up. It was a little chilly. It's always chilly in April. Uh, but it was it was just a lot of fun to do both. Uh, we had also had the year before 
uh, Richard Barone, he was with the Bongos back then, back in the mm-hmm. 80s. He had a couple of minor hits and a really sweet guy. He just showed up out of the blue uh, with a couple of guitars, his friend, and then they said, hey, can we play for you? And I was like, well, we're not really sanctioned, but, you know, if you set up on the sidewalk, you know, go for it. And they played, you can actually see the, the videos on YouTube. It came out pretty neat. Uh, they did a couple of uh, songs. Barbarella was, was one of its minor kind of 80s hit, and he did it. They came out really fun, and just to see people walking the street going, oh, you know, what's going on? Oh, this is this is interesting. It really got me kind of hooked on the idea of doing events. Uh, but I still have the frustration of, of locale and logistics and organizing everything. So we really weren't going to do anything last year. Uh, at least we weren't planning to, but in December, uh, they might be giants just called up and offered to play for free. And of course, you can't really turn down something like that. It's just, you know, hi, this is John from They Might Be Giants on the phone. Uh, we were wondering if you guys wanted us to play for you. And it's like, um, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> sure. So we really, really bent over backwards to, uh, to make that happen. And the, the public library, the librarians love They Might Be Giants. I think kind of everybody does. So they were very, very excited. And that show turned out tremendous. So we had a lot of buzz about it. We got a lot of press picked up. And uh, we ended up with over 1,200 people showed up for the, for the show. Uh, and then they might be trying to come back to the store and find every, anything and everything. And they were just so patient. Uh, there must have been three, 400 people in line. And they just stayed for hours and hours just finding everything. Really, really sweet cause. So that was part of, you know, the, the sales were great and the excitement was great for the show. And it was just it was just a really, really fantastic day. One of the best days that we've ever had here in all sorts of ways. Yeah, that w- that was a great show. So let's talk about what you're doing this year, and and you're you're also working with the Princeton Public Library again, correct? We are. Yeah, we're not going to do any official shows, although uh, we do have a couple of people who promise they wander by and do a little couple acoustic numbers in the store throughout the day. So so keep your eyes peeled for that. But we're not doing anything large concert-wise this year. Uh, we weren't able to kind of find anyone big who was willing to do it and who would commit to do it. We had a couple nibbles, uh, but as time was ticking, it was like, no, with all the amount of entities involved, we uh, had to pull the trigger on that. But uh, the folks who are doing Record Store Day have offered all independent stores the opportunity to do a free screening of the official Record Store Day film, which this year is a UK documentary called The Lash Upstanding, uh, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of the uh, Independent Record Shop. Yeah. Yeah, got that right. Rebirth of the Independent Record Shop. Uh, I've seen trailers for it. It looks really neat. Um, it, it, it is UK based, so there's no kind of local stores. Uh, but it, but it speaks a lot of the same things that we're all going through. And uh, that's, you know, the, the huge rise in the 60s and 70s. Uh, the CD incursion and, and how that affected business through the 80s, and then of course downloading the, the, by far the biggest paradigm shift uh, that really took place in the 90s and really you know changed the whole nature of what an independent record store is, and kind of the resurgence again as people are remembering what a uh, wonderful thing it is to, to get your hands dirty, to, to see the merchandise, to see the out of print stuff, to, to smell it, to, to listen to it, you know, like, to really get your hands on it again. Um, so we're working again with the library, and we'll be doing a screening of that on Friday, April 12th at 7 o'clock, and all are invited to get into the free show, so that should be a lot of fun. It's sort of a, the premiere is going to be all the, the stores in the country who are willing to show it um, between the week of the 12th and the 19th, leading up to Record Store Day. So I think that's kind of a neat thing that we got going on. Excellent. So I said I would keep you for 15 minutes, and it's just about 15 minutes, so I will uh, I'll let you go. But thank you for uh, joining us. On Tandem with the Random, uh, and I look forward to Record Store Day. I'm, I'm hoping to be there. 
Well, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having us here. I hope anyone who's listening comes down uh, to see some of the wonderful pieces that are out that day, uh, to see the screening on Friday, and uh, just to shop the store in general. If you haven't been in for a while, uh, you might uh, you know, want to get your hands dirty again. And uh, you, know, you can look at a picture of an ocean, you can go for a swim, and we, we kind of think going for a swim is a whole lot more fun. So we welcome you all to come in and visit. Yes, and I will put up links to the uh, Princeton Record Exchange website in the show notes for this podcast. Uh, we also have a very big Facebook following, so give a plug for that as well. So absolutely. Love yes, it. I will. Okay. Good. All right. Thank you very much, Don. Okay. My pleasure. Thank you. I would like to thank John Lambert once again for joining us on the podcast. Please check out the links for Princeton Record Exchange and Record Store Day in the show notes for this episode at tandemwiththerandom.com. Now let's get back to my conversation with John Lamazny. I guess we could uh, go into some technology in the arts discussion as a preview. Uh, we, we haven't really talked about Google Glass. I know, you know we we posted, you know, we've each posted stuff about it, but we haven't talked about Google Glass. Well, I'm really excited about Google Glass. Uh, there are many people who are saying that it's DOA before it's even shown up. And I think that those people may feel differently when they have one on their face. Well, it, it can't be DOA because there are other companies already working on uh, on their own versions of it. So, I mean, obviously there's going to be a market for it. My, my concern is that it's really creepy. It's really not. It is. Did you see the video of of, of the guy? Um, he was he was out, like on a date or something, and it was like how it, it was like a, a, a simulation of how Google Glass will go, where he's like watching the game. That was the original video, and it, he wasn't on a date. He was learning how to play the ukulele. No, 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 no. You're, we're talking about different. This one was like a joke. This one was where he was basically supposed to be with his girlfriend or wife or whatever, and, you know, while they were talking, he was, like, checking sports scores, and and then there was, like, this... It, then there was, like, this twist at the end where she was... I think I think it was, like, a first date or something like that, where she uh, she turned the tables on him. I, I wish I, I... I don't remember how it went, and I, I can't... I can't remember, but uh, it was pretty funny. At any rate... What what is your concern about glass? Just you know, the fact that everywhere you know, depending on how much it penetrates into society, I mean, everybody is going to be a camera. I mean, everybody is a camera now, but right. it's just going to make it very. Times, gonna, do you know how many times you were photographed today, Brian? Yeah, I know, but it's just going to make it a lot less obvious than taking out. A phone and taking a picture but where somebody with glasses on is going to be video, if, taking video and, and taking pictures. If they want to get that of you now, they can do that. I, I realize that. It's just it's just a little bit of a... In, in my opinion, at, at least with glass, it's like there's some transparency there. In other words, you're wearing glass and so... Therefore, there's some. It's like this this green light on my camera. I know when the camera's on because that function is built in. But if I had uh, 
Google Glass on my face, you you know that there's a chance that I am computing at at that moment, probably with a camera. But if I'm holding my phone, I, there's no reason why I couldn't be recording you at any moment with that, it, completely covertly. You know, if I got out my phone right now and started a video, you would not know, except that I have told you that I'm doing this, that I'm doing, I could say, oh, I wanted to check what the score was. But no, I'm recording you. Well, that would be a lie. Well, how is Google <laughs> Glass less or more creepy than that? No, I'm, I'm just saying, if you're checking, you, if you yeah, use checking a be- score, if you use checking a score as an excuse, I know that would be a lie. The whole thing is ridiculous. First of all, I'm surprised you knew that, that terminology. Uh, yeah. Uh, but my, the, this argument comes up a lot, and my answer is that if you think that Google Glass is what is uh, the advent of the loss of our privacy, you need to go outside and count the cameras pointed at you. No, I don't see it as a loss of privacy. I know that, that that's already there, and we're already at that point. Okay. I just think it's a creepier way of. Uh, How? Why? Because it's on somebody's face. Yeah, it's it's less it's less obvious. It's it's a little more. Have you seen Project Glass? Yes, but it's going to get refined. It, it's going to get to the point where it's not going to look like any. It's going to look like a normal pair of glasses. You know that's going to happen. Sort of like a phone looks like a piece of slate. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, you know, I just posted the other day, uh, there's a site that I follow called Instructables, which is sort of related to the make movement. Uh, You know what I'm going to say? No, no, no. But I I, I know. The Instructable was how to construct a a covert camera pocket where you, like, sew one of these, whatever, $15 cameras from Radio Shack into the pocket on the coat and stream the wire down to your wrist and do like a Spider-Man thing so that you can take photos. And I, I, my, my tagline for it was creepy, you know, or creeper. That's creepy. It's like you are trying to be covert in the idea that you are recording somebody or something, uh, either in audio or video, uh, because you are concealing it. In other words, the act of of concealing is the issue with glass. You're wearing this thing on your face and it's like, it's a, it's a, I, I can see so, so uh, clearly that there are going to be, there's going to be a backlash against wearing glass and then they're going to realize, Oh, just because this thing is not on this person's face doesn't mean that I am protected from being recorded. It just means they don't have this thing on their face. And so my argument is, I think that people are looking, this is the same problem I've had with arguments against Pinterest and copyright, same argument I've had against social media in general, and the uh, belief that somehow social media is the thing that is causing privacy, social identity issues. It's that social privacy and identity issues exist, and social media happens to bring light to it. (laughs) Live webcasting.
ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, I, it, it makes me a little bit angry that people are often short-sighted about the new thing and completely overlooking all the other things that do exactly what it does, just in a different form. Pinterest and copyright is one of those things that uh, there was this big backlash against Pinterest, and they said, oh, I'm a photographer, and my photos are being shown on Pinterest. How dare they? You know, and, and meanwhile, their, their photos were being shared on Facebook and being shared by email and being shared by Google Plus and being shared everywhere else. But because Pinterest made it obvious to them that their content was being shared, which is a benefit, uh, it was like, oh, well, how dare you? You know, I never asked for your content to be on my content to be on your network. And the same is true for Glass. You know, if you think you're not being recorded now, you are not paying attention. If, if you think that somehow you would know if you were being recorded, you're not paying attention. It's, it is strictly because of the backlash that would occur if they did not, that they make cameras at uh, street lights, or I'm sorry, traffic lights so obvious, you know? Right. I, I think, uh, you know, people would be stunned to, to know, uh, you know, people who don't aren't familiar with how things are in Europe. But, I mean, in Doctor Who, it, it's it's a it's something they they use quite a bit. It is the premise that London is full of cameras. I mean, there are cameras everywhere. I, I, I mean, in Torchwood, they were always hacking into the CCTV system. Um uh, and Doctor Who, uh, the episode where uh, the master was was uh, had come back and was on Earth as the prime minister. Um, the killing he, had had you know uh, every every time they went to a new scene, it was like I need you to pull all those camera tapes, you know, and it's like oh yeah, there are eyes on this spot and every other spot around us every hour of every day. I, I mean. And that was in a, with the East Coast Fireball uh, a couple weeks ago, which I was outside for and missed it somehow, by the way. I was outside looking at the stars. I, I, I think I had just taken the trash out because it was a Friday night. And, uh, and I was looking at the stars, and I thought I saw a meteor at that exact time, but like just a run-of-the-mill streak of light type of thing. And then I come inside, and I see all these reports of a fireball, and yet... There, there was like maybe two or three surveillance cameras, and they just barely got a glimpse of the fireball. Meanwhile, that you know the fireball over Russia, you know in February, I, I mean within seconds of the first reports, you know all those dash cams were uploaded on YouTube. So yep. I mean it, it it's amazing how I'm surprised that dashboard cameras are not far more popular here in America. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm I think that glass uh will probably show up before dashboard cams take off here because I think anybody who's interested in it knows that glass is on its way. And well, the da the dashboard cams also serve a purpose because, you know, it's so corrupt over in Russia. I mean, that's why they have them because Yeah, because people... it's not corrupt here. Well, I mean, it's just insurance fraud and 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 corruption as uh, on the police forces is, is much worse than than what we deal with here. Yeah, I don't know, but, 
But wow. uh, if you if you have uh, Project Glass on your face, your your surveillance or Sue's surveillance does not uh, stop at your car. It goes wherever you go. Well, that's have another thing. I mean, driving well? driving with Google Glass. I mean, uh, that's going to be an issue. Why? You're going to have this display of information in front of your face while you're driving. Yeah, it probably has a car mode, just like your phone. Yeah, and we're going to trust people to put it in the car mode because nobody uses car mode for their phones. They're everybody's on the. You do, you do, and I use hands free. But I, I, when I'm walking around Trenton every day now, and and people are driving around, I see them on their cell phones. In this is exactly what I'm saying. People who are not going to use car mode, who are not going to restrict themselves from texting. Who are not going to? It doesn't matter what device they have next to them. They are such a. Uh, uh, they are so. Um, irrespective of the the people around them, that they will use the device in the wrong way. Those are you know those people are going to do something. It's the same issue with uh, technology in the classrooms. It always drives me crazy when I went to a faculty member and said, um, we could solve this need if we just had laptops in the classroom. They said, oh, well, we can't do that. And I said, no, we can. We, we'll bring the laptop. No, 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 no. I don't want students on laptops in my classroom. And I said, every time, I said, why? And they said, because they'll be on Facebook. And I said, well, if they would be on Facebook on the laptop, they, they weren't, they're not going to pay more attention just because they don't have a laptop. They're just going to find something else to do during that time. You know, it's like you're, you're blaming the technology for the student being uninterested or uh, uh, for yourself engaged. not engaging the student. Uh, yeah. In the same way as a, a driver who is texting while they're driving, the phone is not to blame. The abilities of the phone are not to blame. The abilities and capabilities of glass would not be to blame. Uh, it is strictly the, the responsibility of the driver to make the right decisions. With the you, you have the ability right now, Brian, to... I, I, I understand that. I know, it's the, I know it's the responsibility of the driver. But the problem is there are a lot of irresponsible people. Like, but that, that's the problem. Not glass, not a phone. It's irresponsible people are at a maximum. I, I'm just saying, though, at what point does... I mean, you're going to have irresponsible people using the technology the wrong way, which could lead to people getting injured or killed in, in certain I, circumstances. I agree with you, <laughs> but those, those people are, I mean, do you propose a law? And I, and I mean, if you're banning, if, I mean, if people, they're saying they want to ban cell phone use entirely in cars, I mean. That is the most just, ridiculous restrictive could, thing they, I've ever heard of. They could ban all you know, such communication devices. No, they could not. They could if they wanted they, to. They could make a law about it, but it would be the most ridiculous. It would be the most broken law ever. It would be more more lawbreakers than uh, jaywalkers. I, 
realize that. And I know that. I, so just, you know, I'll let you know when I'm going to be out in my car because chances are I'm going to have that, that thing popped in my eye. Well, first of all, we shouldn't even need Google Glass for the car. Why? Because there, is, there should be an interface so that it just you have a display on your windshield. The whole windshield should be Google Glass. Okay. Well, uh, and that way it could limit the area of information so that it doesn't get well, in the way of. Does that? It it puts it in your vision. Uh, just above you. In other words, you have to look into it. You, when you're looking straight ahead, you don't see the display. It's only when you look up or when you acknowledge that it exists or you call it and you say, glass, you know, or hey, glass, uh, take a video. Hey, glass, take a video of me crashing into this wall. Why, why do I have to crash into a wall if it's up here? I'm, I'm kidding. I have to I'm look kidding. Up I'm here kidding. Ah. It's, it aggravates me. Aggravates me because uh, just because somebody doesn't know their limitations of uh, concentration with devices, I, I get pulled over in Plainsboro if I am changing a song on my phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I assume that really happened. It did. I got pulled over once because, as a matter of fact, it was because I had this. I had this in my mouth. And the guy pulled me over and he said, what's that? I said, it's an electronic cigarette. He said, oh, I thought you were uh, texting. <laughs> I said, you thought I was texting? I didn't. I said to myself, you thought I was texting with my mouth? You know? <laughs> uh, anyway, it, it, it just seems like – and the other thing about it is the – the police officers in this area tend to, uh, uh, what do you call it when you, you're typed? Profile. Profile. They tend to profile. And because I'm missing hubcaps on my car, <laughs> I, I get pulled over all the time. I haven't, it hasn't happened in a while. Probably get pulled over tomorrow now. But uh, I, I was very often profiled, stopped on the street a couple times while I was walking. And uh, it's like any excuse, you know, to, to intrude on my personal life. It, it's like another reason. Oh, I thought you were texting. Really? You thought I was texting with this? Whatever. That really looks like a sonic screwdriver or some kind of sonic device that's related to a sonic screwdriver. Something. I was actually going to do this podcast wearing my Doctor Who scarf with my sonic screwdriver. Wasn't that only Tom, I want to say Tom Jones, wasn't that only... Tom, uh, Tom Baker's fourth doctor. Yeah, I always liked that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I got that scarf for Christmas. Sweet. And it's the long one. I mean, it's the BBC, you know, store ball. I mean, they used to sell, uh, there used to be uh, some people who made, like, really nice, you know, custom ones, but... It, it does the trick. So, all right. Well, we we've been for about an hour, so that's probably uh, more than we should have been. Hopefully, technology and the arts will not sound anything like like this. 
Which we should, we should before we go, we should we should mention, you know, we should we should talk about that because we haven't really talked about it. But you know, we do plan on bringing that back at some point. Uh, I'm I'm planning on taking this t- tandem with the random into at least late June. I might go into July a little bit, but you know, I think we started technology in the arts in in August, late August, I think. So, I mean, we could try to keep to that same time frame, I guess. Yeah, I like that idea. So, uh, all right, so that would be good. Honestly, it would be good if we could start in June only because of uh, Art All Night. Uh, We could do a special one. Yeah, maybe as a a pre-launch thing. Art All Night is by far one of my favorite events. Yes, I, let's let's do something for Art All Night because Art All Night is 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 a brilliant event. It's fantastic, and we should do something where we can you know spotlight it and maybe do some uh, interviews with some of the people involved. Absolutely, and I have some good friends in Art All Night that I think that we would uh, love to talk to. So, yeah, that would be a nice special episode of a heartwarming special episode of Technology in the Arts. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Brian. You're welcome, John, and thank you for joining me on, on this special live edition of the Tandem with the Random Very live. Podcast. Yeah, very live and, and very boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So... Um, okay, yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out how to end this now, but thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. I will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Don, and thank you, anybody who is watching this disaster. Uh, so. I don't know. Okay, maybe, this has been Tandem maybe, with the Random Live with maybe, John Lamazny, my special guest. I saw that you were going to be talking about glass in negative ways, and they said, you can't talk about glass negatively and use our network for free. Click. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they must have saw that in the uh, in my uh, Google Docs, in my uh, document on uh, Google Drive. You're worried about cameras. You should so, be worried about Google. Well, I am worried about Google. You're the one who thinks, oh, Google's great. Google's great. I know Google is great. Yeah. You bow down to the god of Google. I do. The, what, what was that? I said happily. No. Uh, okay, John. <laughs> All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to John Lamazny and John Lambert for being a part of this somewhat experimental podcast. Remember to stay up to date with the podcast. Please keep an eye on tandemwiththerandom.com. Follow us on Twitter at TWTR Podcast or like Tandem with the Random on Facebook for the latest information and show updates. Again, if you want to share your Doctor Who experiences on the podcast, please call our comment line at 609-310-1480 and feel free to call and comment on anything you've heard on the podcast. Your feedback is appreciated. Until next time, this is Brian Kelly. Take care.
thoughts and views expressed by the host of Tandem with the Random are not necessarily shared by guests of the program. Conversely, the thoughts and views expressed by guests of the podcast are not necessarily shared by the host. For more information and show notes for the podcast you have just heard, please visit Tandem with the Random on the web at tandemwiththerandom.com.